Hi everyone, Terry Welbrock here. First off, I just wanted to send out a little apology for not putting an episode out last Friday. Uh, but I am back on Hilton Head Island and recording and so excited to put this episode out tonight. You ever just meet someone and you just instantly, your souls connect, your heart uh, just absolutely love this guest. I even wrote, I, as I do my show notes and, and write notes after the interview, um, and I pulled this one out, I have, I heart her. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely loved uh, meeting this beautiful soul who uh, you're going to listen to today and this beautiful conversation. So inspirational. A lot of aha moments for me, uh, learning from her. Um, but in, on a personal note, the reason why I didn't put an episode out last week and it's been a little bit of a pause, I guess, in putting two episodes out. I was doing the Healers of Hilton Head series, um, adding those in his um, little surprise episodes throughout the week, is because my mom uh, was diagnosed with uh, liver cancer and cirrhosis of the liver, Um Again, for those who have been longtime listeners of the show for the past five and a half years that I've been doing this, know the uh, history with my mom and, and her addiction history. And then she was on a uh, road of sobriety for, gosh, two and a half years with maybe one hiccup, maybe one little fall off the wagon. Um, but she's 87 years old now and... Uh, she ended up in the hospital after a fall, and then um, we brought in hospice because she selected the no treatment route for this liver cancer. Um, pretty massive growth on her on her liver, and she's ready. She's she's wanted to die since I was a kid, um, and has told me that every day of my life, pretty much that she doesn't want to be in this world, wants to be in the other next world. So we had hospice come in. I granted that wish and reached out to hospice. And uh, she was given some pain meds. And uh, those pain meds had a pretty profound effect on her. And she started hallucinating. Uh, and so we ended up, she ended up, in hospice, in facility hospice, instead of home care hospice. And so I hopped on a flight and flew back home to Ohio and spent the past week with her. And it was so needed for my soul in so many ways. It was good to spend time with my sister, uh, who I've missed tremendously with my mom, with my nephews I hadn't seen in a while, my son, who one of my children who lives in Cincinnati still. It was just so good to be there. Uh, it didn't bring any of my recording equipment with me, so hence, no episode last Friday. But the really awesome news is, I think, how profound love and just presence can be because my mom had this amazing miraculous rebound and we ended up bringing her back home uh, after a very scary one night in a in a all I can describe as a hellhole a horrible horrible facility that was so filthy and I couldn't wait to get there the next morning to get her back out of it I didn't know until that night because they transferred her there but 
to have her back home and sitting there and laughing and reminiscing with my just my sister and me and my mom just it just brought sheer joy and uh, my heart just overflowed with love in that moment and my mom is doing so much better she's elected to stay home instead of an assisted care or long-term care facility and uh, we're bringing in as much support as we can for her so Council on Aging has been amazing hospice has been amazing um, we just feel so very blessed my friends are amazing my family my sister my nephews um, the, yeah the grandchildren it's just been wonderful to see everyone surround her with uh, so much love um, you know I, I know she's uh, struggled with her addiction but she's a beautiful little soul and I just adore her and I hope her end-of-life journey uh, is a peaceful and love-filled one. So any prayers or positive energy you would like to send my mama's way, uh, I so very much appreciate it. I know she appreciates it. And uh, there you go. All right. Now for today's amazing, wonderful, awesome, love, love, loved this interview. Enjoy. I just realized I wanted to add a P.S. So for those who also know my trauma history and my panic attack history and all that I've been through and going through EMDR therapy and the whole reason I, I work in the trauma recovery arena is triumph over trauma. So that's what I've, I've lived to do is to um, continue to triumph over all of that trauma I experienced in my life. And so even in the midst of all the chaos that was going on and all that's been happening, just, gosh, in the past two years between my mycotoxin poisoning and my mom's uh, spiraling and her health issues and so much more, I've continued to work on helping myself along this healing journey, learning so much from these beautiful souls I interview from all over the world and reading and researching and just that hashtag never give up. So I, again, hopped on a flight. I was feeling very emotional. So when I walked onto this flight, I, I flew Allegiant because it's a nonstop from Savannah to Cincinnati, an hour and 19 minutes, which is awesome. And as I got on the flight, I was feeling emotional because I was headed to see my mom in hospice and I, I didn't know if she was going to live. She was spiraling very quickly. And so I approached the flight attendants, the two that were standing there, who I just want to sing their praises, were just the sweetest, kindest uh, souls. And I said, hey, just wanted to let you know that if I suddenly burst into tears <laughs> for no apparent reason on this flight, please know that I'm headed to see my mom in hospice and I'm feeling very emotional. I have a history of panic attacks, although I no longer have them, but I'm just, because my emotions are heightened, I just wasn't sure how I was going to handle flying without Xanax, with, you know, no, um, I guess, pharmaceutical crutch, uh, like I had used for so many years, and 
I was just going to have all of my coping skills that I brought along with me, my Zen coloring book, my gel pens, my my stones, my uh, my grandma's rosary. Um, I brought uh, my laptop and downloaded some movies on it. I had my meditation music. So all of that was with me. But I was like, oh, what if I'm not able to handle it? But then I was like, oh, what if I can? And so when I sat down in the seat, and was getting myself settled in, the tears came. And so for about five minutes, I just let them flow. I just let them flow. And uh, the flight attendant, again, the one was so sweet and came by and had said, I had asked a question about when I can get my laptop out and put my hand hand on my shoulder and advised me of when they they would let me know when I could get my laptop out. Um, But I just wanted to tell you all that because... One, I did it. Like I got on those flights to and from Ohio and I did it. There were no panic attacks. Uh, Yes, I allowed some tears to flow on that first flight, but that's just, it was just an emotion and I allowed it. So all of these things we talk about so often on the show, uh, just be gentle with yourself, gift yourself, whatever it is you need in the moment to, to, help yourself along your own healing journey. So just wanted to tell you, um, sending you love and I believe in you and you've got this. All right. Now for this great episode. Welcome everybody to the Healing Place podcast. I'm your host, Terry Welbrock, and I just had an amazing conversation for about 10 minutes with my guest here today. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we need to talk about all of that uh, again, because it was so wonderful. So I'm welcoming, welcoming today. And Steph, I totally forgot to ask, is it Sarah Zen? That's right. All right, I guessed. Woo. And she is a grief educator and experiential expert in, in ambiguous grief. So welcome, Steph. Thanks so much for having me, Terry. I'm so happy to chat with you. Me too. And we were just talking about how important these conversations are in talking about these heavy subjects, um, but in a way that relatable to folks that can say, oh my gosh, me too, or oh my gosh, I had no idea. So talk to us about this role of um, ambiguous grief educator. Sure, sure. Well, I like to say I'm an accidental researcher in ambiguous grief. It isn't anything that I um, I set out to do intentionally, um, to, you know, to kind of work in my adult life. Um, but in my own midlife trauma and um, profound pain went in search of understanding what I was experiencing um, in search for healing, you know, just desperate to feel better. Um, After uh, nearly 20 years married um, in a wonderful marriage that I adored, um, I learned that it wasn't what I thought it it had been, Uh, made a discovery that led to divorce. And it it broke me in two. It was, um, you know, an experience of grief, like none I had known. And I was, I was immediately looking for somebody to talk to who could share their experience with me, somebody who, who had been through this as well. Um, and, you know, could kind of give me their, their textbook of notes, you know, uh, here's what you do, here's why, and, you know, understanding it. And then, some things to do to to move forward, and I I just felt so stuck. I couldn't intellectualize what had happened. I couldn't um, make sense of 
of why this grief felt so different. And, and without anybody coming forward, you know, and I kind of poked around and asked some people for, do you know a friend? Do you have anybody who, you know, experienced, um, you know, the end of their marriage abruptly or, you know, through a discovery and no, 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 no. You know, it was just um, nobody willing to talk about it. And I was certain that I was not the first person to have this experience. And I began to just kind of, you know, pick and, and get curious about why, why nobody was talking about it. And I wrote to, I wrote to authors. I um, started reading studies. I, you know, I interviewed my therapist incessantly, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, by talking to clinicians and, and, and just answer, asking these questions, I, I soon found that it's certainly not that this is an isolated incident, but that there is an element of shame or embarrassment that is often internalized by the person grieving. And, um, and so they isolate and, and grieve alone. And um, as I began to understand this and then write about it myself, uh, it had been, some of my essays had been picked up uh, on online publications. And then I started hearing from people saying, I was so glad to read this. It's been so hard to find anything. Um, you know, there's a dearth of information on betrayal trauma on, you know, but there's plenty on divorce. Um, but, you know, nothing quite specific to what I was seeking. And, and as I began to dig in a little further, I found that my, my grief was different because there was no physical death. And so ambiguous grief is this experience of grieving the loss of a loved one who is still living, uh, but there's been a significant change or break in the relationship as it once was. And we don't do, we don't do physical death grief super great in our, our, our society as it is. Um, you know, we often have trouble even saying, you know, death or dead or dying, right? Um, and so if we don't do that inevitable experience well, um, my goodness, how can we expect to do any other kind of grief, uh, you know, well either? And so I set out to really pick and understand what exactly made it different. What was a, what were the nuances to ambiguous grief and, um, and develop uh, tools to to help heal. Beautiful. Wow. And I so related to on a soul level because I did the same thing with my own trauma history of just trying to find and just clawing at, you know, give me some answers so I can understand this. But back to the shame part of it for just a second and just clarify for my personal. <laughs> so mm -hmm. the shame component, is that the part that's um, where you're you're looking like, what did I do wrong? What could I have done differently? Is, is that that part of it? Because I eventually, I know with my own journey that we talked a little bit about, mm -hmm. came to the conclusion, I didn't do anything. It wasn't, it, it's that like trying to take it on yourself so you can try to make sense of it. Like, what did I do? Right. Yes. And so, you know, in, in my personal experience, the discovery and then the divorce um, is what I call a, an activating event or which, you know, clinicians call an activating event 
But there are several others, including incarceration, um, familial or friendship estrangement, uh, addiction, Alzheimer's, dementia, any kind of cognitive decline, including a traumatic brain injury, um, indoctrination into a cult or a gang, uh, imprisonment, incarceration. Uh, did I mention that? Gender identity, you know, um, and uh, and really any any significant mental health crises, right? Are are activating events that can change the relationship as it once was, and and for all of those events that I just listed, depending on how the person internalizes the change of their loved one. Um, they can feel that shame or embarrassment because of their attachment to their loved one. And for a myriad of reasons, um, they may not see addiction as an illness and see it as a lack of will. And so, you know, they feel shame that their child is battling substance abuse, right? And so they don't tell anybody that their child is, is, has run away and is, you know, 19 years old and, and living on the streets somewhere. Their families don't know because they feel shame about sharing the truth of it. Thank um, you and for the, that. Okay. yes. Yeah. And in, in my particular, my particular case, what I found is that women um, were not sharing um, their, their marital infidelities because they were reflecting that upon themselves you know, and it took me some time to say, hang on, wait a minute here. I did not do this. I uh, had been a faithful wife and this shame is not mine to carry. However, that took a while to get to. And it, it really kind of, when you excavate those emotions at the, at the bottom of it is what are other people going to think? Are other people going to think I was, I'm horrible to live with and, you know, or that I'm a horrible, you know, for those parents I just referenced, what will people think of our parenting? They will think we have done something wrong. And so what I found is that people don't talk about their ambiguous grief if they're internalizing shame and embarrassment because they don't want to be talked about. And we can do better. We can change the conversation. You're doing a great service in in having this podcast and bringing on individuals who are talking about trauma and trauma healing um, in a way that can help to normalize the way that we support and and help one another heal. Right. Gosh, I mean, you really just shine such a huge light on that that I hadn't quite thought about before. I know just because me personally, if, if someone does have the courage to put out, let's say on a Facebook post or something, you know, that their child is struggling with addiction. Like my first reaction is just to embrace them with love and compassion, and understanding, but I can't understand how they would be so fearful because there are those who may have be struggling themselves or aren't along the healing journey enough to be judgmental or, think what did they do wrong as parents? Wow. Yeah. And we can do better. You're right. 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 And so, you know, when, if you're in a group and somebody, you know, and another adult says, Oh, did you see so-and-so posted on Facebook? What do you think that's about? And, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a scoop seeking conversation. 
um, I think it's I think it's admirable to shut that down and say, wow, you know, let's not gossip about this. It it must be a really difficult uh, time for her. And that was a lot of courage she took, I think, to share that. So um, let's see how we can be supportive. Yeah, I was just, you know, and how can one I wonder how we can help? Right. Yes, exactly. And sometimes how you can help is by not gossiping about it. Right. There, there's, there may not be much you can do, but um, one thing that isn't additive is, um, is speaking about another individual's trauma or their grief of any kind um, in a salacious or gossipy way. Yes. Oh my gosh. So now how do you work with folks uh, in an individual level on a, on a group level? Do you have programs? Right. So yes. Um, over the last um, couple of years, uh, I've developed, I've taken certifications and learned how um, to meet another person or a small group in their grief. Um, this wasn't what I had set out to do. Uh, and I know that's the case for you as well. Um, but in trying to, you know, heal myself, um, you know, from my pain, uh, I learned so much along the way. And um, I wrote a book on uh, a guidebook. It's the, it's the book I had wanted um, all those years ago, but couldn't find. And um, it's, a, it's Soul Broken, a guidebook for your journey through ambiguous grief. And it, you know, it has tools and writing prompts and, um, you know, practical advice from not just my own story, but the story of others from different activating events to help you along as you heal. And um, I prefer one-on-one grief guiding, you know, um, to, to help people understand their grief and embrace it, which it is really hard to do and even hard to digest at the beginning. You know, um, I had one, uh, one woman say to me, I can't imagine I'm ever going to embrace this. I don't want it. It's the worst thing that's happened to me. I just want it to go away. And, um, I understand, I understand it's so much pain. Right. And yet, um, grief, I believe I, I I know it in my bones that grief is a portal um, to our greatest and our highest selves if we allow it. And yes, it hurts and um, it's brutal. And yet it can do so much to transform us. Gosh, Steph, you had my head tingle, which that's always no. a good sign on this show. <laughs> yeah, my heart, yeah. my eyes welled up with mm. tears. I have goosebumps on my arms. Like that was the whole gamut right there because it is a portal. I've lived it. I know it. Yeah. It is. I told you before I hit record when I had went through my, my grief journey, I cried for a year and I thought I'm never going to get over this, through this. But wow, you're right. When you do the work, when you're willing to to go into that darkness and then you come out into the light, you, it, it really is. There's so many gifts that come out of it. Um, I know it's hard to see when you're there in that muck and that darkness. So thank you for that work you do to hold people's hands and, you know, reaching your hand back into that darkness and saying, listen, I've been there, come with me and we can, we can come out of this. So, yes. And thank you. You just, um, 
I, I, uh, I know, you know, I see that in you. Right. And, um, you know, it's, uh, I've described myself before as a guide, not a coach, you know, I'm, I've been, I've walked this path and there are many ways to heal and find healing. Um, and it, there's no time limit, you know, to, to kind of go through and, and work through your grief. And as, you know, as, as you well know, it's not something that you, you know, you do sequentially and voila, you come out the other side and it's done, right? Um, it's a transformative path we take where, you know, you, you might go in kicking and screaming um, and I'll guide you through eventually as, as we emerge, you know, at some point, the life on the other side is um, your grief is still there, but you're carrying it differently, right? It's, it's integrated in a different way than it was, you know, when we, when we started and um, it, it, you said the work and that's it, Terry, it is, if you're willing to do the work, Oh, right. And, um, <laughs> right. When I was, when I was writing my book, my editor had come back to me at one point and she said, you know, there's some, um, there's some connective tissue. That's what she called it. There's some connective tissue missing here. Um, could you kind of go back and, and dig a little deeper on this? And I said, no, I don't <laughs> want to Right, Because you know what that entails. It's hard. And, and, oh, I know what this is. I know this is going to ring me from the inside out, but I also know it's important work and she's right. And, um, you know, so I think even though you and I are living life on the other side of our trauma and integrating um, the experience and sharing and and kind of guiding others, we have to go back in sometimes and do the work and, um, and I'm willing to be willing. And I say, you know, to folks, if you're not willing right now, I understand. But if you can be willing to be willing, oh. you're on the you're on the right path and, and be gentle with yourself. And, oh my gosh. I yeah. love, love, love that. Willing to be willing. I, I can't be any more perfect because, and I love that you just said, be gentle with yourself. I end all my shows that way to be gentle with yourself. That's the yes. key. That's a huge, huge part of it. The, there were two things that really like, shifted everything for me when I first stepped onto the healing path. And one of those things was I I read it somewhere in a book and it was to be gentle with yourself. And it just, boom, like, oh, I have been so hard on myself. Like I should be over these panic attacks. Why can't I think my way out of them? You know, why, why am I experiencing this anxiety? And yes. And I just, once I started being gentle, but I love that. Yes. Being willing to be willing. How, how are you gentle with yourself? Like, oh what does that gosh. look like for you? I, I think the biggest thing was I stopped shooting myself. Like I should, mm. I should feel this way. I right. should be able to do this. I should, should, mm. should. And I started just saying, this is where I am right now. Like it, it's okay to feel this way. It's okay mm. to have these moments, these days, these weeks of, but keep, keep moving forward. And I just, I just started offering myself love and compassion and that, that just changed everything because I wasn't so hard on myself anymore. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Um, stop shooting. 
yourself. That's, that's fantastic. Yes. And we don't, without being kind of taught how to go through ambiguous grief, you know, we don't have the societal norms that we do when there's a grief by death, right? When there's a grief by death, we know we, again, we're not great at it, but we know what to do, right? We, we know when our loved one dies that, you know, um, we'll receive some condolence cards some sympathy cards. We'll, we'll plan a funeral. Um, we'll ask people to perform the, you know, rituals within the funeral ceremony, um, eulogy and pallbearers or whatever, you know, uh, in our families that we do. But when we're grieving, um, you know, uh, best friend who's ghosted us or a, a parent with, who doesn't remember us, a child with addiction or a partner to incarceration. Ooh, how do we grieve that? Right. How, right. It's, it's often so invalidating because we don't have those societal norms to turn to and then be witnessed. Right. And so I think there's a lot of shooting that happens within the ambiguous grief community because we don't know. Right. Because there's just what are what are the rituals we turn to? What what are what is the process that we begin? How do we do this? Because um, that path is is largely uncharted. Right. But. Um, being gentle and releasing that should is um, just terrific, terrific insight. Thank you. Well, and I get, I, again, you just keep making me go have those like, whoo, you see my little light bulbs going on <laughs> because it's so true that I think because there aren't those uh, processes in place in those rituals that Mm-hmm. In shoulder just it then becomes this burden that we're carrying all by ourselves where when we have those rituals like you said even though we don't do it super great <laughs> um, mm-hmm. at least we can cry on another person's shoulder or other people can relate because we're talking about it or we're crying or we're going through that grief journey out loud I guess is the way yes where yes if we're doing this ambiguous grief we're not doing it out loud or at least the majority of people. Right. And so it just becomes this very internal process and that's wow. What a heavy, heavy weight to carry. Right. And And crying um, for a year. (laughs) Exactly. No, it is. Yes. And you know, um, one way that I tried to be gentle with myself was by really tuning in and getting quiet, which is, is harder than one might think. Um, in today's, you know, ever loud space, but um, getting quiet and really tuning into what I needed. And what came up for me was that I needed to be witnessed. I was, you know, grief is love, and it is proportionate. And so when, you know, when your mail carrier gets a different route, or your barista is transferred, um, there's, there's not a whole lot of grief. You might have some sadness because you real, really like them, but um, you're not in bed for a year crying, right? But it's because grief is proportionate to the love we held for somebody. So no matter what has changed the relationship, sometimes we don't know what has changed the relationship. The person just decides to, to, to leave us or ghost us. Then 
we are, we're, we're left kind of in this space of, of questioning, just questioning all of it. Right. And so for me, what I found was that, uh, you know, having this marriage I adored being witnessed, you know, was important. And I realized I was feeling, I was, I was feeling jealous of widows and I'm embarrassed to say that, but I'm saying it because it's the truth. And I mean, no disrespect to anybody who has suffered the agony of losing their beloved. No disrespect at all. I found that I found myself saying, oh, wow, um, I'm envious of her. Look at the way she's being doted on and loved and look at how everyone is recognizing her loss. And I had this loss. I felt like a widow, but it wasn't seen that way by the community, right? And um, for goodness sakes, I didn't even tell my family and friends for three months um, because I didn't know what to say. Surely had my husband of the time died, uh, I would have notified people immediately and then started the funeral process and, and whatnot. But with the discovery and then the subsequent divorce, I didn't know what to say. And I stayed silent for three months, with the exception of one trusted friend and my therapist. And what really was transformative for me was holding a ceremony for my marriage. I call it a faux funeral. And and hit ritual and rituals within a ceremony have been part of humankind for millennia and for good reason right they help to mark important milestones in our lives and we're really good we are so good at celebrating our beginnings and if you don't believe me go to any of your social media feeds later and look and you'll see you know baby uh, announcements and birthdays and engagements and graduations and new businesses and you know giant scissors and we know what to do and we celebrate one another with these these rituals and of these beginnings but our endings really don't get much fanfare right and um, they're hard they're difficult and we don't share them as openly you know those when that business, doesn't make it and they close their doors, we we probably aren't going to see that post, right? But we saw the big scissors post when that happy couple is cutting the cake um, at their wedding ceremony or at their reception, you know, we see that. But when that marriage doesn't continue, we don't see the description of that pain, right? And and that's it's it's not right or wrong. It just is not something we're comfortable doing, talking about our endings. And I realized I needed, I needed to mark my ending of a marriage I adored and just loved being part of. And so I invited uh, two friends only, just the two who knew my marriage up close, the closest, the best, and had witnessed it. And um, you know, I I curated a little a little ceremony, Terry. I I, you know, asked them to be at this place at this date. And it was a lovely um, lakeside 
spot at a public park. It didn't cost me anything to do this and it doesn't need to cost anybody anything, you know, and I curated some music that was important. Um, I picked some uh, two readings and I invited them to share their memories of my marriage too. Um, And what was, it was so healing. I could feel it throughout the 30 minutes that we were there. Um, But at the very end, when I received them, if you will, you know, we were, we were saying goodbye and they hugged me and held my hands and spoke right to my face um, about their love for me and how sorrowful they are too. I finally felt validated. I felt that my loss was seen as important. And, um, I just still get choked up, you know, talking about it because it was so, it was just so important to me and nobody said, oh, you can still have a funeral. Nobody, nobody suggested that it was just what came from tuning in quietly to myself and really being able to understand what I needed. And so, you know, for some people, I'm sure they're scoffing at this saying, well, that's, that's wackadoodle. I'm not going to go and have a fake funeral. You know, nobody will understand and others, and that's certainly fine, but I know others say, oh my goodness, that's exactly what I need to do. And so I encourage you, whatever, whatever it is that your center is is speaking to you, tune in and listen, and then um, follow it. Yeah. Well, gosh, one, I want to say I wrote a letter and burned it and it was very ceremonial. Like it was, I was watching that negative energy just leave in the smoke. And so, yes, and that was my own little way of part of the way. Yes. And, and those little ceremonies, those little, you know, uh, you and the moon and fire and paper and ash is wildly powerful, yeah. wildly powerful. And yet because I um, said what I needed to say in that letter, right? Yes. And then you gave it away, right? You let it go. And, yeah. and I always, you know, and I actually, I write about this in the book too, but my goodness, Elsa, the ice queen we've been singing her song for years now, let it go, let it go. And yet how Elsa, how do we let it go? Right. That's not something that we, we talk about. There's no song that says, here's how you let it go. We all know we need to let it go, but you just described Terry one way to help us let it go. And it it might take people hundreds of those little actions but one by one, little by little, a little becomes a lot. And we find ourselves releasing that pain, that anger, and then it transforms and we can carry it differently. And the ceremonies like powerful letters, like you just described, are um, a great way to start. Oh, thank you. And one last, well, I, I want to I go back to something that you said in just a second, but as a little PS to what you just said. I did continue to write and burn and write and burn because it was a process. And then Mm -hmm. I did end up finding that in the end, like maybe I'm guessing with the last letter, because I don't even remember the last one I did. It just Mm -hmm. kind of faded. Right. But it was almost as if I sent that person off with, 
I wish you whatever it is you're seeking. I wish you love. I wish you joy because I had transitioned from into this place of Mm. like truly being able to let it go. And that was that part of it of whatever it is you need. I I wish you. And so that's how I, that's how I transitioned, but I want to go back really, really quick to one. I cannot thank you enough on a, just a soul human light level for putting that very powerful truth out there about being envious of the widows, Mm -hmm. because it is so hard for us. Like you're just this shining example of it's okay to put your truths out there. It's okay to share those really powerful, I say truths again, because that's what it is. And so kudos to you. And I just, Mm -hmm. I just thank you from my heart for that. So I received that. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you. It's going to resonate with folks. I mean, truly, because it needs to be said out loud. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Well, gosh, I could sit here and talk to you for hours on end. Um, So likewise. Yeah. Is there anything else? Sorry, let me redo that. I'll edit my pen rolling (laughs) out of here. Um, Is there anything else that you wanted to address or, or any avenue you wanted to go down? You know, I really just, I, I, so much of what you said, Terry, and, and just, you know, listening to your, your past conversations, you know, that, that you're having on, on this podcast, it's so important to tell our truth. And, uh, and I think that a good, a good indication of your own truth telling is what you just kind of brought out of me and 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 you're reflecting back i understand which is that i feel awkward saying it and so if you don't know what your truth is what is it that is hard to say right and um it, no matter how much healing work you've done what remains right what feelings what experiences what emotions pop up for you and you're not really, you know, too proud to talk about, um, or it's just difficult to talk about, or you find yourself wanting to push it down and not face it. Uh, that is a great way to meet your truth. And as you, you know, interview guests every week, you, you allow them space to share their truth and you are such a light. Um, you are a lighthouse shining your truth spanning the sea, looking for other truth tellers. And I think that in aggregate, that is what is going to help us help one another kind of move forward on that path um, and, and collectively heal little by little. So tell your truth and, um, you know, thank you for being a lighthouse for us. Oh, thanks again. You had me teary. I got me all welled <laughs> up in the eyes again. Thank you for that. My again, my my heart's hugging yours. I, I you. It, you made me think about this conversation I had with my oldest son um, just last week, and he was talking about an incident where someone was was discussing a younger person than him, fresh out of college, was was talking about uh, someone who was suicidal and struggling and having a very, um, oh gosh, uh, what's the word? It so went out of my head, but just this moment, a crisis moment, right? Oh, this mm-hmm. person. And they were talking about this person being suicidal and this 
young person had said, you know, they should have just pushed him kind of thing. It was a jumper on a bridge. And so my son reacted very gutturally. And um, so anyway, he, he responded to this young person in a very matter of fact, like with facts kind of way. And later I said, perhaps you were put in that person, young person's life for a moment, even though you were feeling very triggered, like you were put there in his life to help him understand maybe he needed that, that truth. He needed what you offered him, John. And so that's what I was just thinking was when you were speaking and sharing that very powerful Mm -hmm. truth is that there is someone listening to this show. I mean, I know we're recording right now, but you know, they're going to be listening in this moment that needed to hear that from you. And so Mm -hmm. again, I'm getting emotional about it because it's one of those aha moments in life where I realized, wow, when we put those powerful nuggets out, (laughs) there's someone sitting, listening on the other side of the world that says, oh my God, yes. Right. And gosh, this goes back to what you're saying in the beginning about shoulding right? Because the first time I acknowledged that that's how I was feeling, I'm, I'm feeling envious of a woman who has lost her beloved far too soon. And tragically, what is the matter with me? I should not be feeling this way. I should not have this emotion bubbling up. I should not feel this. That's wrong. But who says how I should feel? It is, that is the truth of how I'm feeling. And so, you know, that's another clue, isn't it? Right. Here's my light bulbs going off is when we're feeling those shoulds, if we can isolate our shoulds, I should not be envious and jealous of a widow because she gets to receive people because she gets to start a scholarship fund in his name, because she gets to regale her children with stories, right? I should not be feeling that way. Well, wait, what do I need? Why do I feel that? Because I didn't have the opportunity to have my grief witnessed and validated. Okay, so what can I do about it, right? So if we pay attention to our shoulds, we might just find answers for some healing. Yeah. Thank you for that. Gosh. Oh, well, and I'm thanking you too. I I love the truth, looking for the truth tellers. I'm so going to use that. I'm just, again, you've given me a gift. So gosh, thank you. Oh, thank you. It's been so nice to talk with you. Keep doing what you're doing. Your um, work is so important and I'm so happy to be part of it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I, I just feel blessed to have met you and talked to you. So how do, how do folks connect with you, find your book? Uh, yeah. Where do they, where do they find you? Sure. So it's um, soul broken and it's one word on the cover. You'll see it in two. So I know people are, um, I'm hearing from people about that, um, but it's soul broken and it was released just a couple of weeks ago in October. Um, it's available on at Barnes and Noble, um, on Amazon, at any independent bookstore, um, Target, you can, you can find it just about anywhere books are sold. And it's also available, um, in e-format and on, on Audible as well. So, 
Um, I hope that it finds the people who need it and yes. they find something additive in it. Um, you can also find me personally on my website, stephaniesarazen.com and on social media as stepping through S-T-E-P-H-I-N-G underscore T-H-R-U. All right. Um, <laughs> and um, we're all we're all just trying to make it through. So um, I'd, I'd love to hear from any of your listeners in any way. Thanks so much again for having me. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Oh, me too. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for, for being here and shining your beautiful light of hope. Yeah. All right. Well, everyone, thanks for joining us today on the Healing Place podcast. And remember, until next time, be gentle with yourself. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Terry Welbrock again. Just wanted to thank you for listening to the episode today. And remind you to visit my website as well as the academy.terrywellbrock.com for the courses. But if you go to my website, terrywellbrock.com, you can sign up for my monthly Hope for Healing newsletter, which is also jam-packed with information and strategies and blog pieces and guest blog pieces and links to shows um, and just a great space for... uh, Thanks for, again, being here and being a part of this healing space. I very much appreciate you. All right. Bye-bye.